Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester, and I always know the source for my erections. And I'm Ob Sedensky, and I'm a big fat idiot. <laughs> and, and, and today we're here to talk about season one, episode one of Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Pants Tent. Last week, we discussed the HBO special, Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm, that predated and inspired and got the show started. And now we're into season one, the traditional episodes, the very first episode of the show. So, Ob, are you excited? I am very excited, but it might also just be my pants. Yeah. <laughs> now, I actually, I want to say right off the top. So, um, and obviously, if you if you haven't seen the episode, it probably makes more sense to go uh, rewatch the episode before you listen to this. But not necessarily. You know, you can listen just anyways. We're going to discuss the episode in, 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 in detail either way. So you might enjoy it uh, anyways. But one thing that I really appreciate about this episode, and what reminds me of in Seinfeld, is shrinkage. Shrinkage was a concept, whether or not uh, before the shrinkage episode of Seinfeld, everyone had the same term for it. It was a concept that, that all men understood, but the other 50% of the population, I feel like, had no idea. And Seinfeld really gets credit because they brought that idea into public knowledge so that all women could become familiar with it. And I think the, the pants tent does something similar because uh, we have all had pants that when you sit sort of folds up like that, especially corduroys, I've noticed. And it creates a pants tent. And, and sometimes in my life I've been slightly awkward. Is the person sitting near me going to think that that's something that it's not? Um, and if it was, that, there should, that it's all that there should be there and more. Um, and I think that this episode, at least for those who saw it, obviously the initial episode of Curbed, it wasn't as highly seen as the shrinkage episode of Seinfeld. But if anybody... Um, has seen this they would understand oh no he doesn't have uh, an awkward erection that's just you know the pants tent caused by his corduroys so i want to yeah, say thank and of you course Larry david and of course what both curb and seinfeld do so well probably seinfeld more than curb is not only identify a phenomenon but give a name to yes, it that exactly. then becomes like that's what just what everyone calls it from then on yeah. um and seinfeld's obviously much more known for that and it was seen by many more people and you know much more mainstream but curb does a lot of that as well um i don't know if pants tent is the best example but you know honestly what else are you going to call it other than a pants tent yeah but you've had this problem right Oh, I have this problem all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess um, unless you literally just have an erection at all times, every man is going to have. And I guess women's pants should also have this problem. No, it shouldn't be exclusive to men. I don't know. We need a, a, a woman listener to uh, chime in and, and let us yeah, know. I'm, but just FYI, if you have a pants tent for more than eight hours, you should call yes. your doctor. <laughs> Probably. Or your tailor. So let's let's ju- let's jump right into the episode. Um, it starts. Larry is complaining to Cheryl about his pants tent. Um, and then he asks Cheryl well, if. Go ahead. What I what I would say is what the episode literally starts with is a close up shot of Larry's crotch, which yes. I think just tells you all you need to know about this show, <laughs> where the show is going. Yeah, um, uh, he is a. Uh, my wife actually said to me uh, after watching uh, season ten, episode three, uh, on the other night, she said Larry David is the least sexually attractive man that she has ever seen. That's fair. <laughs> And so um, I don't know what that says about Bernie Sanders because he's supposed to look like Larry David, but um, 
but she also said she wouldn't vote for Bernie Sanders. So maybe maybe there's a something uh, a correlation there. So anyway, so Larry's complaining to Cheryl about his pants tent, and then he asks Cheryl if she wants to see a Dustin Hoffman movie. Now I didn't know right away at this point is it a real Dustin Hoffman movie or a fake Dustin Hoffman movie. Obviously, Seinfeld always loved to come up with fake movies, but they didn't usually have real actors in those fake movies, did they? Yeah, no, and it, it, it will probably not surprise you to learn that I immediately paused watching Curb and pulled up Wikipedia to see if I could yes. figure out what the Dustin Hoffman movie in question was. Um, there are really no good candidates um, because the, the last two movies before this are Sphere, which is a Michael Crichton movie that like I don't think anyone would have referred to as the new Dustin Hoffman movie. Yeah. And then there was a 1999 French movie about Joan of Arc that he's in. Um, <laughs> probably not which, in theaters. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Also, it got 30% of Rotten Tomatoes, and when they all go to see it later, they all say it's great, so that's yeah. probably not it. But they say, they say um, the name of the movie. It's hard not to crack. Yeah, we find out. We yeah, find out later, later. and it's and yeah. it's a it's a fictional it's a fictional movie. Um, what, what I thought was also interesting was just like the idea of referring to the new movie based on the actor is just like a very '90s thing. Like yeah, nobody really agreed. does that anymore. Yeah, like, it's we, either the the director or the franchise or something about it. Like you wouldn't say but that's, like, oh, Adam most, Sandler. People do that for. I think certain names people do that for. There are there are some, but like generally speaking, that's just like not how movies are marketed anymore. If like, you no, speak, that's a relic of the '90s. If you speak to some of the people who did. Not like Uncut Gems, it's because they thought it was going to be the next Adam Sandler movie, and it was a little right. bit different than you know the the dribble that he's putting out for Netflix every six months. But, for sure, yeah. So anyway, so Larry asks Cheryl if she wants to go. Cheryl informs him that what does she always do on Monday nights? She does yoga. Yes. Um, so then LD calls Richard Lewis to invite him to the movie. So Richard Lewis. Uh, who is with us very strongly in season 10, probably more Richard Lewis than we need in season 10 because he's filling in for, uh, for Marty Funkhauser in some respects, people think. But Richard Lewis in it from day one, Larry's oldest friend. They know each other from camp uh, 60 years ago or whatever it is, I guess 50 years ago at this point. Uh, but Richard already going to the movie with his new girlfriend. Um, and so Richard is not going to go to the movie with LD. Now, is it interesting that everybody is going to this movie in the same theater? I guess Los Angeles is a very small town, just like New York is in Seinfeld. Yeah, there's one theater. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, Cheryl's friend uh, Nancy happens to call, and then Cheryl invites Nancy to the movie with Larry against Larry's will. Now, Cheryl and Larry have been married for at least a few years at this point. How, do, how are you married to Larry David and you do that? My wife wouldn't invite me to a movie with her friend without running it by me first. Yeah, this is obviously insane. Yeah. Um, and the face that Larry makes when he sees what's happening like yes. tells you all you need to know. But he's, he's, compl- like, he's, he's completely correct. He's completely right. Cheryl is completely in the wrong here. You know, it's just totally out of bounds what she does yeah. here. There, there's only, so what, the relationship from Cheryl's perspective, the relationship between Larry and Nancy, I think there's three possibilities. Possibly number one is they get along great. They're incredible friends, which is obviously not the case from Larry's reaction. And then the other two possibilities is either that Larry doesn't know her at all or that Larry hates her. And in either circumstance, Cheryl would have to ask Larry first. It just she's completely in the wrong here. It's it makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, and yeah. To, to, use a, uh, to use a term from our line of work, for, in my opinion, everything else that Larry does in this episode, he should be indemnified. Like, this is her crime. She's set in, in wheels of motion here, and Larry has, like, total immunity from anything that goes wrong here. Obviously, Cheryl's not going to see it that way. Yeah, and one of the narratives of this show, really, from season one through season ten, is that in the beginning, we identify with Larry much more frequently in his various foibles. We may not always choose the same, you know, make the same choices, based on the circumstance, but we, we very often feel like Larry has initially been wronged, if, uh, if only in the slightest of ways, and I think that's the case here. But um, anyways, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, also, like, in general, like, is this something that, like, you would ever do, like, 
whether you knew the person or not, just like go go to a movie with like your wife's friends. It's just very bizarre. I mean, maybe I'm like just my in my circles, it's different, but I can't like I can't imagine ever doing this. Or a, if a friend told me like they went on a date, not a date officially, but just like them and like one of their wife's friends, it was just like you know, obviously Mike Pence would not do something like this. Yes, and I think he's course. I think he's right. <laughs> At yeah, least in this I, instance. Yeah, to go on a one-on-one date with another woman, especially when that other woman is your wife's friend, it's it's a little weird. I mean, I've I've yeah, it's 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 hard to understand. I can't think of an example of where I've done this. I've maybe like driven with my wife's friend somewhere to go somewhere where we're picking up my wife, for example. But for the yeah. whole evening to be around the two of us would probably and again, it's a, it's not even a mutual friend; it's his wife's friend. So Larry clearly yeah. not interested here. It's yeah, it's very strange. Of course, I do often go to the movies by myself. Yeah, I was going to say, so for you, it wouldn't be an issue. It's the solo movie you have no issue with. But yeah. I think even Larry would prefer the solo movie to the movie with his wife's friend. Obviously, but, yeah, certainly. Yeah, so that's the circumstance. So Larry's now in the in the car using his car phone to call Jeff. They're both really excited to be using their car phone. So that's a technology we're dealing with. Uh, Jerry invites Larry to play golf. And Larry, having told uh, Jeff about you know the si- situation with getting Cheryl's permission for things, uh, jokingly refers to uh, Cheryl as Hitler. He says, I'll have to ask Hitler before he can go play golf. And Jeff's parents are in the car, and Jeff did not say it's on speaker. And because they're old Jews, they are very offended. Yet again, Larry, totally the victim here, has done nothing wrong. Yeah, I mean, he's done nothing wrong other than refer to his wife as Hitler, but... but- which you know, yeah. it's not great. It's not great. It's not great. You shouldn't call your wife Hitler. Let for those he who you- hasn't ever referred to his wife as a Nazi, cast the first. Uh, <laughs> Very uh, fair. Stone. And and yes. yeah, you should you should never have someone on speaker without telling them. Certainly, if that person is a loose cannon like Larry David, who is yes. prone to say anything, you just it's just a terrible idea. Um, so and- the, the only thing I was thinking is, well, maybe because the car phone technology is so new that these rules aren't understood, but the speaker phone technology in the office, in the home, that wasn't new. Those existed already. And this this drove me nuts because my wife and I have fought about this exact issue, and I think this is going to be a running theme of this issue, is parallels between uh, uh, me and my wife. And, and, <laughs> the, da- uh, the Davids and the Chesters. Yes, exactly. But, like, my wife has done this before, and I've told her, like, and I should show her this episode, like, everybody knows – you do not put somebody on speakerphone without telling them. Like, when you do that, I, I call from the car, and I say, Hey, Av, I'm calling from the car. My kids are in the car. Jen's in the car. My in-laws are in the car. Say hello. Like, everybody knows that, correct? Except for yeah. Jeff and Jen Chester, apparently. Correctly, correct. Um, the only, like, corollary to that or exception to that is that it is, like, in a way suspicious. Like, if my wife called me... Sorry, if I was like in the in the car with my wife and like a friend called me and I'd be like, "Oh, before you talk, Rachel's in the car." Like they might, she might think, "Oh, he's like he's hiding something that he doesn't want him to say." But other Perhaps. than that, like, but yeah, Je- Jeff yeah. didn't have to do it in that suspicious way. Jeff could have said like, you know, "Hey, you know, Larry, my parents in the car. Say hi to you know to to Susie. To is it wait? Is it Jeff's parents or Susie's parents? Isn't it?" It's Jeff's parents. Yeah, it's Jeff's parents. Sorry. Um, yeah, they're two. Uh, they're two very uh, angry old Jews. So, anyways, yeah. so they get the to the only- theater. So just the only other thing I want to just point out about that scene, which I thought was interesting, and maybe this is a season one thing, or maybe this is a, a, a thing only in this episode, but the Curb theme plays at the beginning of this season, this scene, which normally I'm trained to think the Curb theme plays at the beginning episode, and then at the final, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, right. They use it as an interstitial from time to time. Yeah, so I think that that probably stopped at some point. I don't know if that was, you know, continues to run throughout season one, season two, but it that, like, totally, like, threw me off. I was like, what is this? Is in the middle of the episode? No. Yeah. Now, we played that theme in the middle of the last episode of this podcast, actually. Well, I guess, I guess we were anticipating that. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of that one episode in Seinfeld. I think it was around season three where they had those weird sort of singers uh, singing like, do, 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 like in between interstitially. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Anyway, there's one episode of Seinfeld where they do that. Um, it was actually referenced in the Akiva and Rob uh, Seinfeld Pusher reca- recap episode. 
uh, about that one episode. But they tried it for one episode and then abandoned it. But Seinfeld brought it in sort of midstream. Here, uh, Kirby's doing it from the beginning. But anyway, so they get to the theater. It's hard not to crack, as I said, featuring Dustin Hoffman and Larry uh, trying to get uh, you know into the theater. Uh, there's a there's a there's a Mediterranean looking woman sitting on the aisle, and she does not want to get out of the way for Larry. And so Larry gets in a fight. And this is the third consecutive conflict that I think Larry's totally in the right here. The woman is not moving at all. Yeah, she's insane. Yeah. Um, now, not, now not, La- on, not only does she not move, but then as Larry gets by, she accuses Larry <laughs> of staring at her breasts. Yes, which is not is a, a ridiculous accusation. That's not at all what's happening. Yeah. Now, Larry then I think proceeds to slut shame her. Yes. which is also not right. Yeah, so, so that's you know, not right, yes, yeah. So you know, she you know she's the initiator of the conflict yes. but he can't maybe you know the end result is like he's the bad guy in this little incident because what he does to her is worse than what she does to him yeah so I think- and so i guess i guess her argument is that based on the seating he should have gone around to the other side because that's where his friend is which is which is true i agree with that like if you come into that theater and your friend is sitting all the way on one aisle why would you go to the other aisle and walk all the way across the row when there could be a bunch of people there. But you does Larry know these. where she is? Because that's they meet in the theater, which is another weird thing. Usually when you go to a movie with somebody, you meet outside the theater. But Nancy sort of raises her hand and says, hey, Larry, over here. So yeah, that's so true. He, okay. he comes in the theater. He doesn't know. He's not going to go all the way back up and around. But that, that's also weird. Like, who meets in the – like, I'll meet you in the theater. I will. Both of us will independently get our ticket, buy our snacks, and then come meet and find each other in the dark. It's a little bit of a weird yeah. meeting place. But. This incident is very contrived. Yes. Then – so anyway, so Larry finally goes by. As you said, he slut shames her. He says to her, yeah, you wore that top because you didn't want people to stare at your breasts, which kind of undercuts his claim that he wasn't, actually. But uh, yeah. <laughs> right. um, then uh, Larry and Nancy are discussing uh, the rude encounter that he's just had, and Nancy is rubbing Larry's arm to reassure him that he shouldn't be so upset about it. That makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> very strange. Yes. Don't yes. don't rub marry men's arms over very minor things. Like let's yes. say like he had just like looked down at his phone. He's like, oh my god, my father just yeah, died. Exactly. Then okay, fine. Yeah. You know, you rub the arm, you use condolence. But because some stranger was mean to him, like no, this, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So so and go, you know, I think we'll get to this later. I think that Nancy might be into Larry a little bit. So I don't know. I, it's something to look out for. Yeah, uh, well, we, that's something we're going to have to discuss for sure. Um, so anyway, so she rubs his arm, and then as she's doing so, she suddenly notices his pants tent. And right. meanwhile, Larry sort of simultaneously, he discovers that the that the uh, the bitch on the aisle is Richard's new girlfriend, Sophia. So Richard Lewis comes down with his snacks, and he sits down next to the woman. And so Larry realizes already that he's uh, uh, gotten in trouble with uh, Richard Lewis. and his Because uh, he is supposed to be having dinner with Richard, with his wife, and Richard and the new girlfriend this coming Saturday. Correct. So he he realizes he's already like walked into a bigger social problem than he even thought. Yes, exactly. Um, so anyway, Sophia and Larry, after the movie, uh, all four of them sort of meet up outside. And Sophia and Larry don't let Richard on to the fact that they already had an, an awkward interaction. But Larry turns down an offer for coffee, uh, to which Richard says, what am I, Himmler's ghost? Which is the yeah, second <laughs> We're really leading into the Nazi stuff here very quickly. Yeah, so so Cheryl is, is Hitler and Richard is Himmler, so who's goring in this scenario? Uh, that's what um, I know, yeah. yeah, I guess maybe that's Nancy. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was Himmler. I mean, Himmler is like not like it's an obvious cut. reference for yeah. most people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there's going to be even a deeper cut later in this episode. There's there's a reference that will be made. Actually, there's there's another Holocaust reference. Uh, uh, Richard will, re- will mention Ellie Wiesel later in the episode, but we'll, we'll yes, get to that ca- a little bit. Yes, I caught that, <laughs> except, he, except he calls him Wiesel. Yes. We, we know a friend named Wiesel. Uh, have you ever called him uh, Wiesel by mistake? No, but I've called him Himmler. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, anyway, so Larry comes home. He tells Cheryl about Nancy in the pants tent. Um, then Larry also tells Cheryl about the fight he had with Sophia. 
Uh, and Larry says it wasn't his fault. And Cheryl says sarcastically, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't your fault. This is really Cheryl as as uh, as as Jen Chester here, Bla- Doctor Jen, as podcast listeners know her, blaming her husband for everything, even when it's really not his fault. Just the automatic assumption is that that, that he's always at fault, and I definitely identify with Larry here because this happens to me one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, but so but like this is kind of like a a boy who cries wolf situation. You could tell like even without having seen any of their life until now, just like you see the like exasperation on her face. Like as soon as he starts telling the story, she like does this like sigh. Like, why would she think that, Larry? Why and why can we not go to dinner yeah, with Richard yes, next Saturday night? Yes. It's just like this is obviously like he's just like constantly getting them that him into these situations. So you're basically serving as counsel for Cheryl slash Jen because that would be Jen's retort as, as well. But but even so, that doesn't mean you're guilty 100 percent of the time. Sometimes you're innocent. Right, but it's right, yeah. But just like when you're married to someone like Larry David, you're just like constantly having to deal with crap like this. And yeah. sure, like the way he tells the story, maybe it wasn't his fault this time, but like for some reason or another, you're constantly finding yourself in these situations. Yeah. I mean, I, I always like I've, I've actually said this to my wife before. Like, I hope I'm never like killed by like a drunk driver, uh, like while a pedestrian walking down the street. Because if so, my wife I, ho- won't care I hope so, too. Yeah. But my, the only reason I care is because my wife will she won't even acknowledge the fact that the driver was drunk and underage and blind and didn't have a license. She will say, you must have been on your phone. You must have been jaywalking. You must not have been paying attention. It'll be my fault no matter what. Everything's always my fault. So. <laughs> I definitely identify with uh, poor Larry here. Um, anyway, Cheryl then um, tells Larry that Jeff left a message in which he said sorry, but wouldn't say what he's sorry for. Now, this is a circumstance where Larry totally gets himself in it in a way he didn't need to, the same way he did on the previous episode um, when he got caught, uh, caught in quotations, on the walk in the park. Because Larry claims he doesn't know, and the reason is he doesn't want to tell Cheryl that he called her Hitler, but this is like a made-up problem. He could have just said to me, like, Jeff put me on speakerphone without telling me, and there are people in the car. Like, he can tell him that part, which is true. He doesn't have to make up a lie. Yeah, he has, like, a window of, like, five seconds here yeah. to, like, quickly make up a lie that will be believable and just, like, end this, and then it's never brought up again. No, but I'm saying uh, don't even make up a lie. Say exactly what happened. Just don't oh, right, the just with, with less detail. Yeah, yeah. that's what he should have That's say, what he should say, have done. Jeff, Jeff called me and put me in the car, and, and he was on speakerphone. He didn't tell me, and I cursed in front of his parents. That's 100% yeah. accurate and would cause no problem whatsoever. Yeah, so, Larry, Larry, throughout this entire episode, handles this situation very badly. He's a very yeah. bad schemer, and he's going to get himself into a lot of trouble. Um, yeah, we, maybe we could, uh, we'll uh, coach Larry on how to lie to his wife better. Yeah, he's not, I, I feel like George Costanza would have gotten out of this one much more easily. Yeah, it, it just, and as we'll see, the lie that they come up with is also terrible. Yeah, well, oh, only because uh, Hollywood is such a small town that you run into everybody all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's see. We'll get into it. Yeah. So, all right. So now Larry's in Jeff's office. Jeff is writing an apology letter to Kathy Griffin. Now, Kathy Griffin, we knew as Sally Weaver on Seinfeld, one of the more dislikable characters in the Seinfeld universe. Yeah, she's very bad. Yeah. Now, here she's playing herself. Oh, uh, follow up to last week's episode. So last week I had mentioned to you that Jeff Yerkes was a, a the name of a real-life writer's assistant on Seinfeld who was who was a character in the previous episode of Curb as a former writer's assistant on Seinfeld, but he was played by a different actor, not by Jeff Yerkes himself, and we thought that was weird. And then I went and found out that, that Jeff Yerkes was also the name of a character on Seinfeld played by the comedian Fred Stoller, who is like very uninterested in Elaine, and because of that, Elaine dates him. So Jeff Yerkes must have been like really popular for some reason with, with LD, because he got multiple characters in both of uh, LD's shows named after him, even though he was but a lowly writer's assistant. Very strange, so, very yeah, interesting. So very odd. So anyways, so um, so Larry's in Jeff's office. Jeff's writing an apology letter to Kathy Griffin, according to Jeff, for nothing, but that's his job. And then Larry yeah, says, is, that what was a one job of my you favorite. have 
What a job you have. You have to write people letters. Ridiculous. Larry literally wrote an apology letter in the very previous episode. Yeah, yeah. To the guy uh, well, he got in a fight that... with with the Jeff Yerkes thing. So yeah, so maybe that's not part of uh, canon. Yeah, not part of canon. Uh, the, the HBO special. The uh, the line that Jeff Garland says was, I think my funniest. I thought the funniest line in the movie where he's like, "We did nothing to each other, but every week I end up writing her an apology letter." Yeah, uh, which again, now I'm identifying with uh, with Jeff as well because uh, I always just give the the universal apology because it's uh, the safest way. To yeah, go. it's usually the easiest way out of things. Yeah. Um, anyway. Larry is trying to come up with something to tell Cheryl is the reason Jeff was apologizing. So, again, very contrived. But he proposes to Jeff, because they're mentioning Kathy Griffin, that it be that Kathy Griffin had asked Jeff for Larry to write a pilot for her that Jeff had said no without consulting with Larry. So a very circuitous lie here. Yeah. So this is this lie is so bad for (laughs) several reasons. The two main reasons are it's, number one, way too specific. Way too complicated. Yeah. (laughs) Way too complicated. And B, it involves a third person. Like, even yeah. if, like, Kathy Griffin is not someone who you might bump into, just, like, make it something between you and Jeff that, like, will never possibly have to be verified by a third person. Or even make it the like, same thing without a name. Jeff got an offer and didn't run it by me. Why is Kathy yeah, Griffin what, involved? Correct. No Don't... Right. Or just right. Like, yeah, Jeff, somebody approached Jeff about something. He, he told him I wasn't interested and I'm, I'm annoyed at him. Like, it, didn't, it turned out it's like, it, well, I wouldn't have been interested, but I just told him, like, going forward, always come to me first. Just like, don't involve a third person ever. Yeah, that, this, this is, is a tip to th- all of th- you out there. This is Chekhov's Kathy Griffin. As soon as Kathy Griffin <laughs> is mentioned here, you know that it's going to come back to bite Larry the ass. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, anyway, so Jeff tells Larry now to change the subject that because his parents overheard the Hitler joke, they want Jeff to drop Larry as a client. Because they had a cousin who was a gay Jew who escaped Nazi Germany. Now, first of yeah, all, so I, yeah, I'm not ahead. sure that like they needed like the gay thing, a yeah. gay person, right? Yeah, I mean, like make him really gay need to explain, or Jew. yeah, right, or yeah, or just like in general, they're they don't think jokes about the Holocaust are funny because they're people. It's except that Larry David happened to have uh, made five hundred million dollars making a show that was famous for the soup Nazi and everything else. So. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I, yeah. I don't think you needed to have like a specific reason why like yeah. somebody might be sensitive to jokes yeah. about the Holocaust. Yeah, the, uh, only because yes, if they hadn't had the, the cousin, if the cousin had only been gay or only been Jewish, it would have been okay. But because he was both, yeah, so that's a bit absurd. So Larry now has to come by Jeff's house to apologize to his parents. So Larry is just apologizing left and right, just like Jeff, but he doesn't seem yes. to realize that. Yeah. Um. Then Larry asks Jeff about a new restaurant called Mama's Boy. And Larry tells Jeff that he's going to go there alone with Cheryl because they canceled with Richard for Saturday night because of the awkward interaction that Larry had with Sophia. And then Jeff says that he'll take his parents to Mama's Boy sometime, too. So we see what's happening here right away. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, now Larry gets to his office where his assistant tells him that Richard Lewis is coming over, that Bob Shaw called to say hi, and that his wife called twice. So those are all the messages from the assistant. Larry calls his wife back, and he's taking a shopping list. Um um, the items include Q-tips, saran wrap. Like, I'm a little bit surprised that Larry David has to go buy his own Q-tips and saran wrap. Like, why can't Cheryl just do that? <laughs> yeah, this also seems like MacGyver shopping list. Yes. A very strange list. Yeah, very specific list. Um, then Larry, unsolicited, brings up the lie about why Jeff apologized, and he gives the Kathy Griffin story. Exactly. Then Richard walks in, uh, and he comes. he's coming over. Everything has to be in person, by the way, to criticize Larry for offending Sophia. So when they got home, Sophia must have told uh, Richard what happened. And Richard starts whining about his heart and about his cholesterol, about being an alcoholic. And, like, Larry's causing him spilkas because of all his medical issues, which, which, <laughs> yeah. is, which will happen repeatedly over the course of the ten seasons of yeah, this show. Yeah, this is, this is classic Richard Lewis right here. Yeah. Um, and then Larry, in, in, in the most obvious reference to Seinfeld uh, yet in this episode, he asks Richard if his dumb, attractive, wannabe actress girlfriend makes him read through Neil Simon scripts with her at night. Which is very, um, uh, which is, uh, was that season one or season two of Seinfeld? 
when when the, with the girlfriend who uh, does this who does the episodes and the penis and the brain are playing chess yeah, with each other. Yeah, I probably season two, but I couldn't say for sure. Yeah, and um, and Richard retorts, "She's not dumb. Why? Because she reads Wiesel." <laughs> Right, yeah. And Larry's response, which earned a very hearty chuckle for me, was she should have been reading Emily fucking Post. <laughs> yeah, the obviously the famous uh, writer on Rules of Etiquette. Yes. Um, anyways, Richard asks Larry to apologize to Sophia at Saturday night at dinner, and Larry says there's not going to be a dinner. And Richard says to him that Larry better call by sundown. Now, Larry's response, and I Googled this, I couldn't find an answer. Larry says, what are you, Gary Cooper? And Richard acknowledges that this is a very funny joke. Can you explain this joke to me? No, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, was, I was totally lost at this one. Yeah, and no. I would have been lost at like, this entire conversation if I didn't know who Ellie Wiesel was, who yeah. Emily Post was. These are, these are like ridiculous references. Well, Emily Post, I feel like, is a, is a more well-known reference. And you know, Wiesel, yeah, I'm not sure how obvious that one is. But So I thought, and maybe this is just because we're both Orthodox Jews, but to me, when you hear sundown, the obvious reference is uh, you know, something about like Shabbos or the sunset. And we will get this later in Curb, of course, with Shkia Sahama when he's on the ski lift with the Orthodox woman at sundown. Yes, but so, yeah, that's not what's going on here. Yeah, but here it's a Gary Cooper reference. I, I couldn't figure that out, what, what Gary Cooper movie they're talking about. So if anybody knows, uh, please let us know. Anyway, uh, Larry jokingly asks if he doesn't call by sundown, is a posse going to come get him? So I, I think there's a reference to some Gary Cooper movie where he rounds up a posse. But this just shows, again, two episodes of Curb and both episodes a posse reference. Uh, Larry loves his posses. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if – are we allowed to say posse in this podcast? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I thought it was interesting that Richard, when he's talking about how intelligent she is, that she reads Wiesel, he also says that she speaks seven languages. And the actress who's playing uh, uh, Sophia in this episode is also named Sophia and, according to her Wikipedia page, also speaks seven languages. So she may just be playing herself as a wannabe actress. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what it is. Um, and I think that – I mean, obviously, we see that it happens a lot with people literally playing themselves, but I guess it seems like even when they're playing a fictional character, they're often playing characters that are similar to themselves. Um, I was listening to the... Uh, I re-listened to the Origins podcast with uh, James yeah. Andrew Miller. He yeah. does, like, the Origins of Curb, and he talked about how, like, one of the reasons why, like, people in Hollywood, like, loved coming on Curb is because they were literally told, like, to show up, like, wear whatever you're wearing that day, like, don't worry about it, and, like, you'll get, like, an outline of your scene, like, 10 minutes before. So yeah. it's just, like, the easiest job. It's just, yeah. like, you just showed up, no, no costume, no makeup. Just get in there, do your thing, and you're done. Yeah. Larry has said before that his real-life wardrobe is everything he wears on the show, and what he actually does is he has them buy the clothes for the show, and then he just keeps them and wears them in real life. <laughs> of course. So, again, it's, it's, it's uh, life imitating art. Uh, Larry David, the real-life character, uh, dresses as Larry David, the, uh, the TV show character. Very good. You might have also noticed in that scene with Richard Lewis in Larry's office, you see a movie poster for Sour Grapes, which is the real-life movie that Larry writ wrote, and I don't know if he directed it, but he wrote the movie that came out between Seinfeld and Curb. Oh, and I didn't even realize that, because there wasn't that much time between them, as we said. Like, you know, Seinfeld ended in 98, and the special was 99. Yeah. Um, there's also a whole discussion about whether or not you can call her breasts breasts, since they're not real, and I think they both agree that they're fake, but spectacular. Oh, Yes. Okay, so anyway, so now Larry comes to Jeff's house to apologize to Jeff's parents. Jeff's parents are, are ornery old Jews. Susie runs in to say that Sammy is asleep on the floor and they need to take a Polaroid because it's so cute. But they're using male pronouns to refer to Sammy. So, yeah, is, so is Sammy transgender? Well, I think we're getting into it right from the start. And obviously this is going to come full circle in season two, episode three, season 10, episode three, when Larry has a further incident with a transgender person. Yeah, so uh, very interesting. Uh, 
I, I guess what happened is they ended up casting uh, an actress instead of an actor to play the character. Unfortunately, Sammy's name uh, could be used either way. Unless, again, maybe Sammy was a boy as a baby and, and just transitioned very early in life. I don't know it's what cer- the answer is. It's certainly possible. And I love how Larry almost gets Jeff in trouble, where he's like, oh, I said it because I didn't realize you were there. I thought I was just talking to the Jeff. They're like, oh, to Jeff, yeah. you can make <laughs> jokes like this? And just yeah. like, oh, I would have told him it was the wrong thing to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, so so... Jeff goes upstairs to take the Polaroid to see how cute Sammy is. Uh, so does Susie, and so do Jeff's parents. Larry does, does not join them. He goes home, which is obvious. Like, why would Larry need to walk upstairs and, you know, fast forward? He's going to get in trouble for this one also. He did nothing wrong here. He doesn't need to go yeah. upstairs to look at someone else's sleeping child. It's insane. Yeah, this is got to see the baby. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of like that. But, yeah, yeah this, isn't, this isn't a thing. Like, yeah. you, you, no, there's no reason why he did anything wrong here at all. Yeah, I mean, if you're coming over to see a baby, that's one thing. But if you're at the house, and anyways, leave that aside. So Larry comes home, uh, and he sees that Nancy is there, and Cheryl wants the three of them to sit down and resolve the pants tense situation. <laughs> the situation very quickly devolves, Nancy insisting it was an erection caused by... In her opinion, a combination of the viewing of Sophia's large breasts and then Nancy stroking his arm. Larry d- denies this. Larry says that he always knows the sources of his erections. And he then he starts to mention what various sources are. Then Cheryl gets upset because uh, Larry's inspirations for his erections does not include her. Um, then Nancy melts down and uh, she storms out. <laughs> So this was a very yeah, successful this, outcome. <laughs> this is, yeah, Cheryl is not a good mediator. Yeah, um, this is my favorite I, uh, scene in the episode, though. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, the, it also very much reminded me when he was talking about who's a source. Like the that's a show. This is a show. You're yeah. a source. She's a source. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, anyways, but Cheryl and Larry seem to be on the same page right now that Nancy's at fault. So so at least at least there's marital bliss. Uh, there's shalom bias, as our people say, between Cheryl and Larry. Uh, fast forward to Saturday night. They're at the restaurant. Um, waiting for their table, and of course they run into Jeff and Susie with, with uh, Jeff's parents. Jeff's parents are upset with Larry again, this time because, as I said, he had not gone upstairs to look at Sammy. So they are upset at Larry, a stranger from their perspective, because he didn't walk upstairs to look at their sleeping grandchild. So very normal reaction. Yeah, and they're, and they're very careful to mention that Susie is not upset, yeah. a person who we, would, we will <laughs> get very accustomed to seeing getting upset a lot, and even Susie doesn't yeah. care about this. I think yeah, there's, there's a parents, calmer there. So Jeff's parents are, yeah. are clinically insane. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I mean, we uh, there will be a later episode where uh, Larry gets accused of checking out um, Jeff's mother's uh, derriere. Oh, I don't even recall that. Okay, I look forward to that. When, further, when, when the camera, when the red light camera catches him, the episode oh, okay. where he's accused yeah, yeah, being obsessed with asses. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That's out. Yeah, that's coming back now. Okay, yeah. very good. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and the uh, the topic comes up of Cheryl wanting Larry to use his role in Seinfeld to get them a table faster, and of yeah. course he's like very like he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to, you know, they're not going to care. And it turns out, no, they don't care. Yeah. So yeah, so the hostess comes over to tell them that they can't sit at a table for four with two people because remember the reservation was made with Richard and Sophia, but now it's only Larry and Cheryl. Um, and when Cheryl tells Larry to tell her who he is, Larry says, who am I? I'm a guy with no table. <laughs> and Cheryl says to the hostess, he's one of the creators of Seinfeld. So again, like really underplaying who he is, I think. But again, in 1999, 2000, that's most people didn't know who he was. So he, yeah, he's correct. really not that famous. Um, right. And the way, she, rich, descri- the way she describes it would not be at all helpful because yeah, that totally sounds like yeah. someone who's like, oh, yeah, he was involved with him in some exactly. way. He's probably like the assistant director or something like that of one episode. Yeah. And of course, the hostess has uh, never seen the show, which she has to make a point of saying, because when you've never seen a show, you have to insult the person who helped make it and tell them that. 
That's but like I a think role. she. I think she says she saw one episode, but she yeah. doesn't remember what it was. Yeah. But that it was good. Yeah. Oh, she, she did say it was good. Okay, so that's not so terrible. All right. Uh, meanwhile, Jeff comes over trying to solve the problem and says that Larry and Cheryl will sit at their table, um, which Jeff's parents aren't going to be happy with. Cheryl isn't happy, so really nobody's happy. Now you have six people crowded around a table for four, and the owner comes by, uh, who is black, and he comes by to apologize for them being crowded around a single table. And Larry says to him, are you mama's boy? Remember, the restaurant is called Mama's Boy. And he says, yes, I'm a mama's boy and proud of it. He walks away, and Larry notes to the table that he really loves to see a black owner. He loves to see that black entrepreneurship. And Jeff's parents are not so pleased with this uh, comment. Is it because they're so woke that they think that Larry's comment like doth protest too much? Is it because they're racist? It makes It's unclear. Yeah, so he's obviously like trying to like show him, oh, like uh, you know, correct like the the yeah. Hitler problem, yeah. which you know, you not know, not from... only do I not like Hitler, I do like black entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's like it's very forced, it's very weird. Yeah, um, they're right to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, oh, so well, I uh, thought there was an implication that they might be a little bit racist, but maybe I just so yeah, I wasn't sure. I I, I don't know. I, I wasn't sure how to read it. I think it was more like they're just like, what is this guy doing? He's just like constantly bringing up like race and the Holocaust and weird stuff. Yeah, perhaps. Um, if I don't, the the guy who plays the restaurant owner actually appears on three different episodes of Seinfeld as three different characters. Oh wow! So so again, another Seinfeld guy dropping into our curb. Who are the characters? He, he appears as Malcolm in the Summer of George. Who is he appears? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, he appears as Man in Mercedes in the parking garage. Okay. And the photographer in the pen. Oh uh, yeah, who's taking the picture? Yeah, when um, when Elaine's high on drugs. Yeah, the yeah. only Georgeless episode, right? Um, I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so if we can't have George, we need this guy at least. Who? Else. That's <laughs> exactly. the rule. Every episode must have one of the two. Um, yeah. All right. So Larry and Cheryl then look over and they see that Richard and Sophia are getting their own two two person table, uh, which is a sort of a common thing I think in Curb that there's people who are less. Uh, certainly less wealthy than than Larry and are less sort of influential within Hollywood, but because they're the public face, they're more well-known. Larry and Curb is the Larry of Seinfeld, but not of Curb. And so Richard clearly managed to get his own two-person table, whether it's because he slipped to her 20 or just because he's Richard Lewis, he's a recognizable face. He gets the thing that Larry failed to get. Exactly, yeah. That's, so, yeah, that's... yeah. Uh, and now, of course, Kathy Griffin happens to be there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, and she walks over, yeah. and immediately they somehow this comes up, and the way this resol- resolves itself um, is like in some ways like classic curve the way it intersects, but like it didn't quite work for me as well as it often does because like the way that she's like she is literally going to now say the exact thing that yes. their excuse was, which almost suppo- makes them like they can solve it, they can almost get out of it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, it's not the problem that it is. Like, they could just, like, when she walks away, like, they could just say, like, oh, like, obviously there was, like, some miscommunication between her calling Jeff and her calling me. But, like, yeah. obviously, if I told you the exact thing that she yeah, just walked Cheryl, over and told yeah, why us. Why would Cheryl think that Larry had made up a lie that then happens to become true? It's a little. Yeah. But, yeah. And Larry's trying to claim he already knows, but Cheryl, Kathy's confused. Cheryl is not buying it. Yeah. So, right. right. So, like, they, he should have been able to turn this into a win somehow if he was a little bit smoother. But obviously, as we saw throughout this entire episode, he has no skills in the lying yeah. department. And the cover up is always worse than the crime, which is, should be a lesson for anyone who's married or otherwise. Uh, don't lie to your wife. And if you the lie is always trying to cover up the lie is always much worse than whatever the thing is that you were lying about. I mean, I guess unless you like killed your wife's parents, but <laughs> short of that. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> unless you're good at making up lies and you'll get away with it, in which case, no, lie. nobody. Get, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't I mean, I don't know anyone who consistently gets away with lies over their spouse, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a lot of successful liars out there. Uh, yeah. T- 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 yeah, yeah tricks. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's how the episode ends. Um, I love this episode. I- I'm not going to say it's a perfect episode, but I will give it four. I'm going to say it's pretty, 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 pretty good.
All right, and I will say pretty, pretty, pretty good. Three out of five. Um, I think this is like a, you know, this is like almost like a replacement level episode of Curb for me because it does a lot of things well. Uh, we talked about some of the things that it doesn't do as well, and um, I think it'll be interesting going forward to see if it ends up being that way, where it's like we can almost from now on say, is it like better or worse than the pants tent? <laughs> yeah, the pants. So, all right, so the pants tent is going to be our, our threshold to pass, at least uh, until we see a second episode. Um, so, last episode, we said that I think Jeff had been sort of the, outside of Larry, of course, the winner of the episode. To me, this week, it's clearly Cheryl. She sees through his bullshit at the end, but also she was on his side with Nancy in the pants tent. And I think that, as I said, because my wife is so rarely on my side, I like to see when uh, even uh, Larry David's wife is on his side. So, that, that warmed my heart. Yeah, I agree. Cheryl is dominant in this episode. Just like every scene that she's in, she totally owns. Um, you just like you get the entirety of their relationship just from like tiny interactions between them. Like you know what they're all about, and the way that she puts up with him, like, but still like somehow exerts a lot of influence over him and could like rein him in when he gets uh, too far off his skis. Um, that's just going to be like one of the defining relationships of this show. Yeah. Uh, should we get to our uh, listener mail? Yes, we got a email from Olin Allen, who two is very. So he, two... he sent us one for the last episode. Oh yeah, so you can read that one. Well, I, I don't. You know, we're past the last episode. I will say he gave it three and a half pretties. He said it was pretty, pretty, pretty good. He said it would have okay. been two and a half or two if the stand-up was excluded. So he, like us, he thought it was pretty good stand-up by Larry. Um, so thank you for the email, Olin. But um, you sent us another email for this episode. So uh, why don't you uh, get into Olin's comments on, on this episode? Yeah, yeah, Olin very quickly becoming the number one fan of this podcast. Yes. So here's a slow race so far. (laughs) Yes. Here's an email from Olin Allen. I'm sorry, guys, having to email you again. I know it's absolutely rotten. Couldn't even wait till sundown to get back to you on episode two. Anyway, I think it was a pretty strong episode, especially to start. There was some good material, not like the pants, to set up a lot of tropes that are common throughout. Before my rewatch, I must have had a false memory that Wanda was in the episode and that she was the one who noticed Larry's phantom erection. Anyway, Richard Lewis was particularly strong in this, but my most valuable best support actor has to go to Jeff's dad with his wonderful fish frenzy. Yes. Now, also, we didn't mention that. That's what uh, he ordered at the restaurant. Uh, Jeff's yeah. dad orders fish frenzy. Um, I would never order something called fish frenzy. <laughs> what would you rather, the fish frenzy or the clams casino? I mean, I've never had clams, right? But uh, if I could have clams, I'd rather have the clams casino. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, because that, um, that implies it's a gamble, and it might not, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, he continues. Also, I'm going to keep track of Sophia Loren episodes, at re- Sophia Loren references going forward. Sophia reference number one in this episode. Nothing else too insightful to add. Well, obviously, we all noticed that Sammy was mentioned as a he. Yes, we noticed that as well, Olin. Great start and a strong four. Pretty, 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 pretty goods out of five for me. Cheers, Olin. Thank you so much for that email, Olin. And any other listeners out there, if you want to send in some feedback or comments on a specific episode, ideas for things you want us to talk about in future episodes, you could email us at prettygoodcurbpod at gmail.com. We'll include that in the show notes as well for your convenience. Yeah, prettygoodcurbpod at gmail.com. Now, he says a Sophia Loren reference. Is that supposed to be Sophia Loren? I didn't get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. Uh, I guess we'll have to look back at that. To, All right. uh, Olin, clarify for us if you don't mind. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, definitely a, a strong episode. And uh, Av, what are we looking to next week? Next week, we are going to meet Ted and Mary, finally. It's been a, it's been a long wait. We had to watch an entire episode without Ted Danson in it. Uh, I'm really missing Ted Danson since the end of The Good Place last week. So I'm excited to have him right back in my life. Um, so yeah, that should be great. Um, of course, Ted Danson was the fictional rival of George Costanza on Seinfeld, so it'll be exciting to see him as the real-life rival of Larry and Curb. 
Wait, sorry, I missed that. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I totally. Yeah, because Ted Danson has the better uh, plane from Cheers and makes more money. Yes, I totally missed that. But yes, you're correct. Yeah. Um, so like, of course. So obviously, Larry David is obsessed obs- yeah. and, and like obsessed with him in real life, like jealous yeah. of him. So because this, this like he has this like fixation on Ted Danson for some reason. Yeah. Now, I've, I've also, I've, you know, we're going to be doing a ranking of all of the Curb Enthusiasm episodes as we go through. So I've uh, before we had started this podcast, I had already rated all the episodes in the first two seasons. And I'll note that Pants Tent is, um, it is my second favorite episode from season one. So I think the season does come out with a bang. Um, Ted and Mary, uh, a good episode, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll see if it's, uh, if it's better or worse, I guess, next week. I don't want to give any spoilers there. How, how does the Pants Tent rank, um, like, on your chart of, like, all the critics who've reviewed it? Uh, let's see. Yeah. So the critics who uh, rope it in with all the other episodes. Um, let me see. They don't. They don't love it. Nobody has it in the top fifteen. There's a lot I see rankings in the twenties and the thirties. So, but uh, my ranking was only of the twenty episodes of the first two seasons. So it seems right. to be okay. sort of a middle of the road episode. Nobody seems to really hate it. The lowest ranking I see, IMDb has it at sixty three. Out of I did this at the time when there was I think seventy episodes or eighty episodes, so IMDb doesn't love it. Um, no, no, but no one, uh, you know, no, no one really loves it. No one hates it. So I think, as you said, maybe this is sort of a, a middle of the road episode. So, but All that's right. pretty good so, because when you look at like the first season of Seinfeld, for example, the first season of Seinfeld yeah. were like the worst episodes, and that's usually the case Does, for most yeah. shows. Yeah, disaster. Um, yeah, is that the case for most shows? I feel like many shows would get canceled if the first few seasons, few first episodes were bad. Um, well, it's, it's not that they're bad. It's relative to how better the show becomes, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are some shows that are very famous for that, like uh, Parks and Recreation, for example. Yeah. Like, season one is very bad, and then it becomes one of the best comedies of the last 10, 20 years. Now, you mentioned uh, The Good Place. Uh, the Good Place season one... Well, you tell me your perspective on sort of the seasons of The Good Place. Um, I thought season one was very good. I think season two is probably my favorite season. And then season three starts to drop off. And season four, I think, was pretty met, except I thought the finale was really great. Yeah, so people generally, yeah, the, the, what I've heard from most people is, yeah, that season one wasn't great. And then season two was the best. And then it got a little bit worse each season. I only watched season one because I didn't like it. I quit. But I probably should have given it another chance because, um, as it turns out, it might have been pretty, 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 pretty good. 